Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you so much for your glory, your perfection, your righteousness, your love, your justice. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he died for our sins. We thank you that you raised him from the dead. Father, we thank you also that you have inspired the writers of the scriptures so that your word would be preserved and provided to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who allows us to understand your word and motivates us to obey it. Father, today we also want to pray for all those who weren't able to be with us this morning, those who are going through any difficulty. We want to pray, Father, especially for the persecuted church and the things that they have to deal with every day. We would pray, Father, but most of all, that they would all, as Colossians chapter 3 tells us, set their eyes on the things above, not on the things below. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before we get started today with the message, one time more reminder that this month we've been uh, featuring Pastor Kingsley Emaniki, and please keep him in prayer. And uh, if you're able to support him financially, um, we would really appreciate that. The best way to do that would be to just provide it, um, send us you know, the check or whatever you have, and then we'll, we'll pass it on to him. He doesn't really have his own website. All right, a couple of announcements now. We are, because this is the last day of February, and that means that next Sunday, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of March. I want to keep encouraging everybody to keep reading the Gospel of John. Um, if you've been doing it, I, I'm sure you found it a blessing and you've seen how it does, uh, the Bible, the book does connect and, and expand on things. And then I find when I go to the end and come to the beginning again, it's like I have a whole new understanding and appreciation of that prologue, for example. So please, 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 um, even if it's just 15 or 20 minutes a day, um, get your nose in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and see what it, how it speaks to you. All right, let's begin now. The title of today's message is A Voice Crying in the Wilderness. A voice, a voice crying in the wilderness. Let's turn to John chapter 1, verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19. We are now finished with the prologue. Those are the first 18 verses where we learn about the Word who was with God and who was God. The light that enlightens every man, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And now the prologue is, is setting up the, the gospel story itself. See, we're going to start now with the story itself. In other words, what, what happened? What happened in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ? What are the signs that were provided that he performed, and that other witnesses that witnessed to him. That's what the gospel story here in John is about. And now that we've understood that it's rooted in the word, who is God and God's son, and that he did become flesh, now we're going to see that person come on the scene as soon as we're done with with the person that preceded him. We saw him in the prologue too. There was a man named John, right, who was sent from God. Well, he's going to come back. And today we're going we're gonna to spend our time considering his ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, and how that begins the story and why and what he was doing as the first witness on the scene. So let's, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 19 now together. 
This is the testimony of John. That's John the Baptist. When the Jews, we'll see more about the Jews today. It's, this is not all Jewish people. All right? This is a particular, very defined subgroup of the leadership. When the Jews sent, him, sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Well, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Actually, it's a better translation to say they were sent from the Pharisees. I mean, they who were sent were including the Pharisees. This is the same group, okay? First, we, we see the priests and the Levites. Well, the Pharisees were with that same delegation, and now they step forward. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And thus begins the narrative of this gospel. Notice that the story begins not with the Lord, but with John the Baptist. He had a ministry before the Lord comes on the scene. He was preparing the way of the Lord. He was the sign that would light the fact that Jesus was coming. That's where this story begins, the public ministry of John the Baptist. Now again, we've already met John in this gospel. In the prologue, I'd like, let's look at that one more time. John chapter 1, verse 6. Go back to verse 6. It's interesting if you think about it, that you have the first 18 verses. They're before the story starts. They're the prologue. They're really all about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word, the light, the Word became flesh. And yet, three of the verses are dedicated to John the Baptist. So he's clearly a significant figure. You know, a lot of times we, we just think, well, he's somebody who came and then the Lord came. That's true, but he's very significant. And we're going to see why he is this morning. Look at John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man, but notice the next three words, sent from God. Sent from God. In other words, he got his authority from God himself, whose name was John. He came as a witness a witness, a court witness, to testify about the light. That's his one purpose. He came as a witness to testify about the light. The light, of course, is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh, so that all might believe through him. The big purpose of this gospel is to prevent information that would would cause somebody to conclude that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the Son of God. God in the flesh, so that you might believe in him, and believing in him, have eternal life. That's the whole purpose of this gospel. John's ministry was single-minded on that very thing, 
that he would be a tewe, be testifying. He would be a testimony to the light. He's a witness to the light. He came before the Lord Jesus Christ started his public ministry. He was sent from God. God gave him the authority. Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. This is, hear this echoing down when, he's, when John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ. I am not. No, right? He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. He was sent from God. God gave him his authority. And again, he had one purpose, only one. But it was a great purpose. He had the purpose of his life, of his ministry, was to testify about Jesus Christ. That he would be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would essentially tell the Jewish people, wake up, he's coming, he's right at the door. And so they needed that to be prepared for when the Lord would come. Notice he would, he would come, but he hadn't come yet. John the Baptist, one purpose, testifying about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's an essential figure in this gospel, John is. Here we see that his words connect the prologue, the first 18 verses, right into the story. There's a great bridge, as it were, and John the Baptist is the bridge. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15. More about John the Baptist. John testified about him. Now here, this is the word who became flesh. This is our Lord and Savior. He testified about him. Notice it's repeated. In verse 7, he came to testify about the light. He came to testify about the light. Verse 15, John testified about him. He's single-minded. He's here for one reason. How about you? Are you here for one reason? Do you understand that you have a particular calling and that God has gifted you in a particular way to provide your own life witness to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we all have a different calling in that respect. Yours won't be the same as mine. Certainly, not, neither of us, none of us will be the same as John the Baptist. He was unique, right? But nevertheless, we have our own manner, ability, calling, privilege, gift to testify about the light, to tell people about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to show what he, why he came. To be, to be one who would bridge the gap between the unbeliever and the truth of the gospel. All right. He, John testified about him and he cried out, saying, this is, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now, when we came first to this verse, it might have been a little mysterious because he hasn't said that yet. In terms of what we're reading, right? he didn't say that. He didn't say these words. As a matter of fact, these words are a prelude to when he says them in the story. And that's like a prologue, isn't it? There are some things in the prologue which, which will say things that will later on be seen in the story itself. This is one of them. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me. One would come after John the Baptist. He has a higher rank than I. The highest rank. Now, we've seen this morning that they thought that he had a pretty high rank. As a matter of rank, as a matter of, they thought he was the Messiah himself, John the Baptist. And he wasn't. And all, his whole thing was, no, no, stop talking about me. There's one who's coming who has the highest rank of all. He has, he has come from eternity. He is God's son. He is here to save you. 
Talk about him. Be ready for him. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. He existed for all of eternity, in fact. We are going to see that John utters these same words twice in the the story that begins today, in the narrative of his public ministry. Very simply, John is preparing the way for the one who is coming. He'll talk about the one who is coming. He is coming. He's about to come. You can imagine the great anticipation of who this would be. And so that was John's duty. He was going to the Jewish people, preparing them for their Messiah. We're going to see his water baptism. We're going to see this next week. He was baptizing with water, and we'll see that there was one reason why he was. So that he would show Jesus Christ to Israel. He will say that. I came baptizing in water so that Jesus Christ, I may manifest the Lord Jesus Christ to Israel. To Israel. He's preparing the way for the one who is coming. Now this one who is coming was promised in the Old Testament prophets. And, and presumably at least some in the audience, by the way the Pharisees are in the audience as we'll see today, they were masters of the scriptures. They didn't have a clue that they were actually pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they knew their scriptures. And, and, and throughout the Old Testament, the different prophets especially, but really all the way back, to the book of Deuteronomy and so many other places. To, to 2 Samuel when the Lord promised David that one of his descendants would rule on his throne forever. There's this, there's this beat that is, that is getting louder and louder as you get to Malachi at the end. And he's saying, he's coming. He's coming. And so there was an ex- anticipation, an expectation. Anyone who knew the scriptures in the Old Testament would have sensed that. And now John's preparing right there at that time, in that place. He's coming. He's now coming. What a great anticipation that was. So with that, we begin the greatest story ever told. In the greatest book ever written. John 1.19. John 1.19. This is the testimony of John. Whom, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem. Now the Jews were the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, the high priests. They were sending a delegation. They consisted of priests and Levites and Pharisees. Now the priests and the Levites, they were the ones who ministered at the temple. They of all people should have understood that somebody would be coming to the temple who would be the one, the completion, the real deal when it came to the animal sacrifices that pointed to him. And yet they didn't recognize him. He came unto his own and his own did not recognize him. Rejected him. And then you have the Pharisees who again were experts on the scriptures. So you had the law and the prophets and the the Pharisees were experts on those scriptures themselves. The priests and the Levites knew exactly how all the sacrifices in the temple were performed. There was nobody better that they could have possibly sent in order to recognize, who really is this man, John the Baptist? Why is he baptizing? Again, verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him one question. Who are you? Who are you? And we're going to see why that question was so important and so decisive. Why were they so curious about John? Why would they send a delegation out into the wilderness to ask him the question, who are you? Who is this man? That's the question this morning that we're going to see um, that brought out 
This is the issue today. Who is John the Baptist? Why is he doing what he is doing? Please turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 4. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. We'll be back, of course, in a minute to John chapter 1. Please go to Mark chapter 1. If you were reading the four Gospels from Matthew to Mark to Luke and now John, you would have already been really familiar with John the Baptist. He appears in all four Gospels. He appears at the beginning before Jesus Christ comes on the scene in all four Gospels. He's really important and his job was critical. And we see him here. Here's John the Baptist is here as well. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness Now, I want you to get the picture of him. He's in the wilderness where where the Jews thought everything was happening was in Jerusalem. Now, there's there's something going on there. Why would he not have appeared in Jerusalem? Why was he in the wilderness? What about the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness? Can you see they were still not in the promised land? And, And the people that were in Jerusalem were not leading the way to the promised land in terms of the Messiah coming. So John went... His very presence in the wilderness was a statement, a challenge to the leadership, to the priests in Jerusalem. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Notice, a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. In other words, John, as he was baptizing, remember, now we know that he was sent from God, and that everything that he did and said, he did by authorization of the great author, God the Father. But the Jews didn't know that. Okay, so they're looking at him. First of all, it's strange. Why would this one in the wilderness be attracting all these people streaming into the wilderness from Jerusalem and Judea? They were all coming. Why were they coming? Because they wanted to see this one in the wilderness. And what did he offer them, Jews? And now, we're going to talk about his, his purpose in testifying about the Lord. But what he was doing with the Jewish people... He was baptizing them, and he was preaching. What was he preaching? A repentance, right? Return to the Lord. Now, we we sometimes use that word repentance in different ways, but but for the most part, the, the word is used in connection with the Jewish people who had turned away from the Lord, who were in rebellion against the Lord, who forgot him. There was a point in the Old Testament where they couldn't even find one copy of the Scriptures, and, and for 400 years, they didn't, they didn't perform the Sabbath rest for the land. And they were worshiping false gods. And so the, the, the great call to repentance that was issued so many times in the Old Testament by the prophets, by Nehemiah, by Ezra, it was a call to come back to the Lord. Come back to your maker. Come back to the one who led you out of the wilderness. That's the repentance that he has in mind here. And notice this baptism had a purpose. What was it? The forgiveness of sins. That's remarkable, by the way. A lot of times we think about baptism, we think it's just a ceremony, just a ritual. But for the Jews here, the, the one who brought baptism on the scene, John the Baptist, he, had a, he preached that this baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. What did that tell you? It tells you, first of all, ask a question. Why baptism? We'll see. that. Why baptism? Why is this one? in the desert, in the wilderness, baptizing people. On what authority? For what purpose? And he says, not only am I here baptizing, but it's a baptism of repentance. And notice, for the forgiveness of sins. 
That's remarkable. John was basically saying that he had the tool in his hands for sins to be forgiven. Now that's, again, I mean, when we think about today, what do we think about in terms of the forgiveness of sins? Do we think that we go into the Jordan River and we come out and then our sins are forgiven? No. What? We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The redemption in Christ is the forgiveness of all our sins. So I want you to see that this is really something unique that's going on, preparing the Jews for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and providing them a means of forgiveness, right? Now, we're going to see this later. The Jews must have been startled, amazed. Why? Because what were they thinking was the way in which their sins were forgiven. Was it baptism in the wilderness? Not at all. We'll see more on this. They, they're, they're, they were instructed quite correctly, by the way, that they would go to the temple and they would make a, a, an offering of, of an animal and, a high, and the priest would be there. But something's wrong because now this is going on in the wilderness. The priests have, must, the priests have not fulfilled their duty to the people. And yet, here's another way for them to be forgiven. Again, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. Do you think that was making a statement? Think about it. Picture it. A man in the wilderness. He had a camel's hair coat and a leather belt around his waist. I want you to picture that. In his diet. What was he eating? What did they come to see? Were they coming to see? Think about it. They were coming to see a man. And yet when they got there, he was eating locusts. The poorest of the poor. That was their diet. And wild honey. What was he doing? He was baptizing, I'm going to emphasize this, he was baptizing them in water for the forgiveness of sins. And that sparked this question, this curiousness, this really concern among the leadership in Jerusalem. Why? Who is he? Who is this one who is baptizing in water for the forgiveness of sins? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. We get a little more information here. Important information. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Who is he? Who is John the Baptist? Why is he here? Chapter 3, verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent. Now we've seen that already in, in, in Mark. But notice the next part. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you know what that means? It means the king is on hand. You see, he was preparing for the king to come. And he was saying, he's coming. He's right at the door. He's, you're about to meet him. In the kingdom of heaven that they've been waiting for, that the prophets prophesied about. That there would be the Messiah that would come. And that he would deal with all the sinfulness in the world. Well, they thought the Jews at the time, but they would find out. He's he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was the one who was coming. 
And he would come and he would, the prophets were very explicit about the fact that there would be a, uh, a, a, a judgment, a, a testing, a screening, if you would, of the Jewish people so that only the remnant would go in. It would be a cleansing. And then they would come on in. And then all of the great, incredible descriptions of the kingdom would come to pass. This is why Jesus said to his, to his disciples, you know, we wonder sometimes. He says, listen, I want you to sell all you have and follow me. All right? if, you, if you love mother and father more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Why was he saying those things? He was saying those things because he's saying, look what's going to come. You're going to follow me and, and I'm going to bring you into this place called the kingdom where you're not going to need money, where, you, where, where, where uh, you're not going to be sick anymore. I mean, this was really why he came. Now, we know, you know, with hindsight that they rejected him and the kingdom was postponed. That's true. But they, at that time, what was going on was he really was there to bring them to the kingdom. He really is their Messiah first, although they rejected him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached to the Jews about the kingdom. He preached to the Jews about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that prepares for preaching about the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. Who is this one who would be coming on the scene and saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Now again, if, if, if you were educated in the scriptures in those days, you would have known that something amazing is happening and there were descriptions and there, we were identif- there was identified among them the fact that who would it be? Who would it be that would be on the scene when the kingdom of heaven was at hand? Again, I mentioned to you that all four Gospels record the baptism that John preached. The first three describe the events of it. He's here in the wilderness. He's a baptism of repentance from the forgiveness of sins. What clothes that he wore. That the kingdom was, of heaven was at hand. But John, and we're going back there now, if you want to go back to John chapter 119, he sort of, he sort of he avoids that subject. He doesn't, it's interesting. Like all the other three describe another amazing event, which was when Jesus comes on the scene and John the baptizes, Baptist baptizes him. But it's interesting, John doesn't mention that. Why? What is going on? Well, very simply, John is emphasizing testimony. He is saying that, all right, I'm going to present to you, as if it were a court case, all the witnesses who will prove to you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That was the writer, John, the evangelist. That was his one mission. So he is presenting John the Baptist as having one purpose, which is ultimately to, 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 to witness and testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in verse 19. This is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, by the way, this is legal language, court language. You know, you're under oath and you testify, you confess, you speak. Confess doesn't always mean confession of sins, by the way, in the Bible. Very rarely does it mean that. It's, it's first and most important meaning is that someone is speaking publicly about about what they believe, or what they think, about what they saw. That's what I have here. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed what? I am not the Christ. 
I am not. In other words, before they asked him whether he was the Christ, he told them he wasn't the Christ. Now, why? You got to think about that. Why would he just burst out and say, I'm not the Christ? That would be a reason. Well, here again, the Jews sent a delegation, the leaders of the Jews, to investigate this John. By this time, he was making a big splash. Sorry. And he was well known in Jerusalem. That's why they sent them out. He was was just sorry. Everybody's coming to see him. They're like left in the dust. They're wondering, where are they going? Who's this guy? How can he possibly say he has the authority to baptize for repentance and water for the forgiveness of sins? Who is this guy? He's the one saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, the king in the scriptures say he's going to be appearing in the temple. Why is this guy out in the wilderness saying these things? They needed to know. It was an investigation. John spoke with authority. Now, again, we, we now know who he is and we, we, we understand why he spoke with authority. But to a Jew in the first century, this was shocking. This was shocking that somebody would come and go into the desert and say, I have the authority for a baptism of forgiveness of sins. I have the authority now. I'm the one who's heralding the fact that the king is going to come and the kingdom is at hand. And they're like, who are you? Why would you say these things? He, he, he was a one, again, I got to keep emphasizing this because this is something that we may pass over. But this was a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he said. They considered it their duty. Coming from Jerusalem, priests and Levites and Pharisees, they felt, it's our duty now. We're the leadership. We're the ones who should be uh, overseeing all of this. Be giving people permission to say what they say. Here's this guy. We don't have him under control. We've got to find out who he is right away. Look at Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Luke chapter 3, verse 15. This will show us why when they asked him, who are you? He was vehement about saying, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Why? Because the people were in a state of expectation. Notice Luke 3, 15. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, what was that about? They were expecting something. All were wondering in their hearts about John. What were they wondering as to whether he was the Christ? You see, it was out there. There was a rumor making the rounds. There were people who thought the signs that he was performing indicated that he was the promised Messiah. And then John answered in verse 16 and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one who is coming, who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. In first century A.D. in Jerusalem, in Judea, many Jewish people longed for the promised Messiah. You have to consider their history. You have to consider that they had been in exile 400 some years before this. They were brought back. And, And they were brought back and the temple was rebuilt. But then they had 400 years of no prophecy. And then in that time period, um, and the first, they, they, they thought they were through with world empires taking them over. But they weren't. They had the Greeks come in. And, and the Greeks, under Alexander, come on in. And then they take them prisoner. And they take over the area. And, and one of the, of the uh, sons 
or grandsons of um, Alexander was horrible. He was an evil, evil man. He did, by the way, a lot of things as a, as a type of what will happen when the beast shows up in, in the tribulation period. So then they have this amazing thing where some of their own actually overthrow the Greeks and establish once again the temple. By the way, that's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is when they went back and they wanted to have the lights in the temple and they, they didn't have enough oil to do it, but miraculously the Lord provided. Okay, so, so and then they thought, well, maybe that was it. You know, maybe we're about to have the Messiah because look, we've, we've defeated the Greeks. Well, they, they were so disappointed when the Romans come in next and they take them over. They were getting tired of this thing and they were wondering, is the Messiah ever going to come? They needed him now more than ever because the Roman Empire, most powerful empire in the world, just like Assyria was, just like Babylon was, just like Persia was, and Greece, now we have Rome. What's, how are we possibly ever going to have the kingdom unless this powerful king, the Messiah, comes? And they thought with John, now maybe he's the one. All right. Now the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. And John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming, who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. So the Jews were hoping that the Messiah was here. They were hoping it was John. They were hoping that the Messiah would come, defeat all their enemies, set up their kingdom. John is saying, I'm here preaching you that the kingdom is at hand. Their expectations were built up to a fever pitch now. And as I mentioned, there's a rumor making the rounds, as we see in Luke, that John was this Messiah. That's why he's in the desert, in the wilderness. That's why he has the authority that he has. That's why he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He must be the Messiah. But as we've seen already, John poured cold water on that right away. Look at John chapter 1, verse 20. Back to John, chapter 1, verse 20. Again, they never asked him if he was the Messiah. He offered it up himself. Notice, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. Let's get that clear at the outset. I know what people are saying, but he was offended by that when you understand that he was here and he saw himself as 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 just a voice crying out in the wilderness. And he knew that the Messiah was coming and it wasn't him. And everybody wanted to make a big deal about him. And, you know, it's the same thing is true today in its own way. There's so many people who want to make a big deal about a certain speaker, a certain evangelist, a certain pastor. And if that man has an ounce of humility, they will say, I'm nothing. I am a voice. My mouth is just being temporarily borrowed by the Lord to speak what he wants to be heard. It's all about Christ. It's not about me at all. That's what John's saying. He was on trial and he was using the legal language here to emphatically deny this rumor. But they weren't done. They persisted in questioning him. They go, okay, he may not be the Messiah. Let's see. Who does he have to be now? Verse 21, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? Not a prophet, by the way, but the prophet. And he answered, no. 
Notice the first time he said, I am not the Christ. Five words, I am not the Christ. Second time, three words, I am not. Third time, one, no. Don't you get the message? I'm not anybody. Stop talking about me. Now, it's interesting, though. Why did they bring up these two particular individuals, Elijah and the prophet? By the way, the prophet, we're not going to look at this today, but, but Moses promised there would be a prophet just like him who would come. And from all of the centuries between when Moses spoke that in the book of Deuteronomy, all the way to the time of the first century, no one had ever come who was, who was like Moses. And so there would be one called the prophet. What they didn't understand, and they should have, was that the Messiah and the prophet were the same person. So in a sense, he's already answered the question for anybody who knew their scriptures. He's already said, if I'm not the Christ, they should deduct, well, he's not the prophet either. But they didn't think they were the same people, so they're persisting and asking. And then there's Elijah. John, why are you baptizing and preaching? You're not the Christ. Who else could you be? Well, Elijah fit that bill. Look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. The kingdom is at hand. That meant that the day of the Lord was at hand. And notice what was promised in the words of the prophet Malachi. Before that day of the Lord, what would happen? Malachi. Last prophet, at least in the book, in the order of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet. Oh, there he is. When? Before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's why they wanted to know. John, if, if, if you're not the Messiah then let's see. You're saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're telling us to repent. You must be Elijah. And that's really interesting, because of course we see here, he says, no. But I am not. But the fact of the matter is, when Jesus came, and people were asking about John, he basically said, for those who who, who would believe it, he was the Elijah to come. Wait a minute. John says he's not. Jesus says he is. Well, I'm going with Jesus, first of all. But here's what that was all about, just for you maybe wondering, those who have seen that in the scriptures. See, see John was saying, I am, not, I, I am not the person of Elijah. Okay, Jesus was saying he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So that the, 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 the role that Elijah was to play, John was playing back then. Playing is the wrong word. So he's saying, I come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. That's what Jesus said to him. But I'm not Elijah. That's what, that's what John said. So again, he's saying, no, I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. Basically, again, he's just saying something like this. Stop making me into someone I am not. He knew that he had one purpose, right? He had one purpose. And that was to witness and testify about the light, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all they wanted to know was who he was. See, that's blindness. That's darkness. When, when, when the, the guy who was coming to prepare the way, and they should have known as soon as they realized that, gee, maybe he, is he Elijah, that least should have clicked in their mind, well, he's not, he's not the Christ, that means the Christ is coming. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be so concerned about you, but about him. 
And yet they were blind to all of that. They kept asking, asking. Now, of course, part of the reason they were asking is because they had to go back. See, they were sent out as a delegation, an investigation. They had to go back and report their findings. What were they going to tell them? They wanted to know, why is this guy baptizing? Why is he saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand? They're going to go back. What are they going to say? Well, he's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. Okay. Well, who is he? But he's telling them, it's not about me. But they, need, they still were in need of something. They had to bring something back. Look at verse 22. Back in John. Chapter 1, verse 22. I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Then they said to him, who are you? Same question again. They weren't satisfied. They were frustrated. He was frustrated. Kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen a court case where you've got an attorney that is questioning a witness, and they're trying to get an answer out of him, and he won't give it to him. You know the frustration that builds up on both sides? The attorney is saying, why don't you just tell me? Answer my question. And then the witness is saying, I don't want to tell you, so stop asking it. That's kind of what was going on here. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us, the leadership in Jerusalem. What do you say about yourself? And he said, this is brilliant. And true, I am a voice. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I am nothing but a voice. A voice cry of one crying in the wilderness. You know, I want, to, I want you to picture it. You're in the wilderness. You're a little concerned. And, you know, there's animals around that seem like they're threatening. You can't, you can't find any people around. You have a a historic understanding that the Jews in the wilderness were very vulnerable. Here you are in the wilderness, and all of a sudden you hear a voice. Just a voice. Prepare the way of the Lord. What? Who's that voice? Well, you're not going to find out. That's not important. What he's saying is important. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, in other words, you, you want to know, you know, you're talking about the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies, and you think maybe I'm the Messiah because he was prophesied. Maybe I'm Elijah because he was prophesied. Maybe I'm the prophet because Moses spoke of him. And he says, okay, fine. No, Malachi. No, I'm not the guy in Deuteronomy. I'm certainly not the one that David was told would be sitting on his throne forever. But I will give you scripture. It's in the prophet Isaiah. He says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am a voice, no name. I am one, no name, crying in the wilderness. Clearly, John didn't want to say anything about himself. So he let the prophet Isaiah say something. He was just a voice, unnamed. He was a mouth for the Lord to use. The Lord could have used any mouth. But he used John. Just like the Lord could have picked any woman to be the mother of the Lord. But he picked Mary. Now he had good reasons. I'm not saying that. But you you can't mistake the vessel for what the riches and treasure that's in the vessel. You can't mistake the voice 
leading you to a person, to the person they're leading you to. Don't make that mistake. A cry in the wilderness. The words that he spoke came from Isaiah 43. We're not going to go there. Okay, you can go there. I would recommend you go and read chapter 40, but not right now. Just understand that he was speaking from the words of Isaiah. And again, that's really interesting because he was making the point, I am just a voice. I'm not even going to say anything on my own behalf. I'm just going to, the word of God is going to come forth now. And you should listen to what Isaiah says. What did Isaiah say? Notice, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. See, at the instant they they heard the word the Lord, it all should have just popped out for them. They should realize, oh, wait a minute. Now I understand why he has this authority. Now I understand why he's in the wilderness, why he's baptizing, why he's asking us to repent, why he's saying that the kingdom is at hand. He is preparing us for the way of the Lord, the Lord of the Old Testament, the Lord who would lead the people into the promised land of the kingdom, of rescuing them from from their slavery and bringing them into freedom. John says, prepare for him. The words again came from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he was saying, really, don't ignore the cry. Don't ignore the cry in the wilderness. He says the same thing to us. <laughs> don't ignore the cry that when you hear the, the Lord is coming. That we ought to make straight the way of the Lord. That Isaiah talked about the mountains being leveled and the valleys being filled and the roads being made ready. That there would be a road all the way from, from Assyria all the way to Egypt, preparing the way of the people to come back. Why? Because the Lord would be on the scene. Don't ignore that. Jewish people today should not be ignoring that. The world should not be ignoring that. The church, though we're not going to be on the scene during the Great Tribulation, we shouldn't ignore it either. That should be motivation for us as well. And also, a a, a hopefulness. When we see all that's going wrong in this world, we should understand that the prophets knew all about that this would happen. The great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, we're not in it yet. But even Jesus would talk about the fact that, you know, leading up to this time, there's going to be a lot of persecution. Right? Paul would say later on that, you know what, in the last days, difficult times would come. Well, my friends, they're here. And the question is now, how do we make sense out of that? We make sense out of it by listening to that same voice crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming soon. As a matter of fact, he's right at our door. Now, those words meant what they meant back then in the first century. He was at the door. Again, with the, with the benefit of seeing the other Gospels, we know that the miraculous virgin birth had occurred. That he had gone in the temple when he was 12 years old and he had just amazed all the people there with his knowledge and wisdom. We know that. We know furthermore that John was a miraculous birth himself. We know, we know that uh, Jesus was, was in the desert, tempted for 40 days. You see, we know that he was right at the door. But John was telling the Jews, especially the leaders, that he's among you right now. You don't know him, but he's among you right now. Can you imagine the expectation then that he's here? They may all be looking around, where? You know, where is he? Who, who is he? Which one is he? That's the kind of thing that was, that was being said. 
Okay, back to, we're in John. So look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. And I'm going to again translate this a little more accurately. They which were sent included the Pharisees. See, they were part of the delegation. And then they asked him and said to him, so they listened to him. They're saying, okay, he's not Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. They picked those three because that would explain why he would be baptizing for a baptism of repentance, proclaiming the kingdom of God was at hand, kingdom of heaven. But he's not that. So they're saying, well, then why are you baptizing? You know, well, who, what right do you have to baptize when you're not any of these people that was promised in the, in the prophecies? The Pharisees now stepped forward. They were experts on the scriptures. And what they'd seen and heard disturbed them very, very, very much. John was baptizing the Jews in the waters of the Jordan River. He proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want you to think about this with me. I know you've seen that message several times already. But here's what it wasn't. He was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That meant he was not talking about sacrifices in the temple any longer. There's something new here. There's somebody on the scene now. Jesus would go into the temple himself. Later on, he would, he would disrupt all of the business activities that were designed to have people bring their sacrifices. What is that saying? There's somebody here who is even greater than Moses and what Moses told you to do. He, he would come and he would violate the Sabbath. And they were saying, who are you? You need to be killed. You're performing miracles on the Sabbath. But he was saying, I am greater than the Sabbath. I'm the creator of the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. He, he was coming and he was going to overturn everything. That's why when we become believers in Christ and he's in us, it's, we, he makes all things new. He was here. Read the book of Hebrews to get a better sense of what this really meant about, about who Jesus was as the fulfillment and the perfection of the king, uh, David. A perfection of the priests and the priesthood and so forth. The perfect sacrifice. All right. So, but they must have been blown away by the fact that he's saying forgiveness of sins and he's baptizing in the wilderness. And their question is, on what authority do you do that? He's preparing the way for the Lord. The Lord. He said that. Now I want, to, I want to just think about one more thing. Again, from the point of view of the Old Testament, the expectation of the Jews, what the prophets were saying. Do you know that did the scriptures, question, did the scriptures speak of a cleansing from sin? One that would prepare the Jews for the return of their Messiah. Isn't that what we have here? Baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a one-time cleansing. Why? So that the Jews would be prepared for the return of their Messiah. And the answer is yes, the scriptures did. Please turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. The scriptures did speak of a cleansing from sin that would prepare the Jews for the return of their Messiah. 
and the, and, the, and the ushering in of the kingdom, more importantly. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Purification, a baptism, as it were. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. A cleansing baptism. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Isn't that what John was showing? He wasn't, of course, the one speaking here. But they had to recognize that there was a connection here somehow. After all, we have water, we have cleansing, we have the forgiveness of sins. We have the kingdom coming. We have the need for repentance. It's all here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Of course, the Lord is speaking here. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then verse 27. You may not see it now, but this is another really significant thing that did happen in the time that Jesus was here. All right. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. When Jesus comes on the scene and he's talking about the water of life that would come bubbling out of everybody who believed in him, he was talking about the spirit whom he would give without measure. The father gave it to him without measure and he would give it to all believers after he was glorified. So the, so the, the Spirit is also on the scene and refer, referred to by Ezekiel. Now, of course, he was talking about the kingdom. When the Jewish remnant would come, he would cleanse them of their filthiness and their idols, put a new heart and a new spirit in them, and he will put his spirit within them so that they would, as Joel would talk about, they would, they would do all these things that, that the young people and the old people and the speaking in tongues and all the things that would happen when the Spirit came in. I will, not now, <laughs> when, when the kingdom is coming. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Let's try to put it all together. What was the meaning of all this? All this coming together. All of these different scriptures coming together of what John said and what he did and who he wasn't. What's the meaning of all this? All right, let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 26. John chapter 1, verse 26. The question from the Pharisees, remember, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? Not, the, not Elijah, nor the prophet. John one twenty six. John gave him another answer. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but... By the way, this is a but that is actually setting them up for something. If I said, I baptize in water, but... Right? There's an expectation about, right? Well, okay, so there must be another baptism. But he doesn't tell them that yet. He will. And a matter of fact, the baptism that he will point to once Jesus comes on the scene is the baptism with the Spirit, just like Ezekiel was talking about. In any event, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Now, he was talking about the Messiah. 
Yet notice how he described it. One that you do not know. He's here. You don't know him. It is he who comes after me. The thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. What's the meaning of all this? One whom you do not know. He was the meaning of all of this. He is the Lord. He is the Lord whose way that John prepared. This is the one whom they did not know. The Lord whose way John prepared. The one who would one day cleanse the remnant from all their filthiness, all their idols. He is the one who will put his spirit within them and cause them to walk in his statutes. He is coming. He's right at the door. And John's baptism was a clear sign that he is coming. It pointed the way to the one who would come after him. The expectation of the Jews would be fulfilled. He is coming after them. He is their Messiah. That's the whole point of everything. Just like John had one purpose. He was, he was so amazed that they didn't get this. Because he was the one, the herald, that would announce the Lord's coming. He tells them as much. He's, he shows them that his baptism points to the one who is coming. And they didn't, they didn't get it. John's baptism was a clear sign that pointed to this one who would come after him. And John says, I am not even fit to be his slave. That's what it means when he says, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. A little background here. You see, the servant, okay, a slave would do everything that the master asked for, okay, except one thing. Even the slave wouldn't be asked to untie the thong on the sandals of the master. But John says, let me tell you how small I really am. How much of a total slave. How much you should not be paying attention to me. I'm not even worthy to be a slave of this guy. That's how important he is. That's why he's of first rank. That's why he's the one that you should be focused all your attention on. I'm not even fit to be his slave. And then verse 28. Seems like it's kind of a hanger over at the end here. But let's think about what role this last verse says. These things took place. These things really happened. Not only that, but in a place. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan. In other words, this isn't pie in the sky. This isn't some kind of spiritual thing. This is something that happened in a place that could be identified for all time. This really happened where John was baptizing. It happened here on earth. It happened in Judea. He named the place Bethany. There's another Bethany that will come at the end of the gospel. That's where Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived. But that was on the west side of the Jordan, near Jerusalem. Okay? This one was on the other side of the Jordan. That's important. Other side of the Jordan. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Very simple. If you're in Jerusalem and you're coming for the baptism, going into the wilderness, there's something you have to do when it's on the other side of the Jordan. What do you have to do? You have to cross the Jordan River 
Now that should mean something. Because when Joshua was bringing the people into the promised land, they went the other way. They crossed across the river into the promised land. Now he's saying, you have to go back. You have to cross the river Jordan the other way and start over again. And start over again. Well, I don't know about you, but the suspense is killing me. It's killing me. And it should have been killing them. Who is this one whom they did not know? In a sense, what's happening in this story with John the Baptist was really the same thing that happened to us when we were in the prologue. Remember how a little bit at a time he would be revealed? He was first, he was the, the one who was with God and was God. Then he was the light. And we were asking the same question. Who is he? Who is he? And then we find out that he enlightened every man. And that John came to witness about this one. And then we do find out who he is. He was the word made flesh who dwelt among the disciples. And then he's named Jesus. So we went through this whole process. We did as the readers. Now what's going to happen is the Jews are going to go through the same process. As of now, all they knew was there was this one whom they did not know. And they would find out who this one was the next day. The very next day. And we'll be here next Sunday to look at that. But here's the question. Would they have the eyes to see who he really is? Or the ears to hear the message and the voice crying out in the wilderness? Or the heart to understand exactly the, the, the significance, the meaning of the witness of John. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the magnificence of this book, the Gospel of John. We, we thank you for the magnificence of the one to whom this whole Gospel points, your Son, the Messiah, Jesus, whom whoever believes in your Son, the one who died for our sins and was raised from the dead on the third day, will never perish, but have eternal life. This one, we thank you for him, most of all. And we thank you for you, Father. Because when he came, all he kept saying was, was I'm here on behalf of my Father. Every, everything I do, it's because he asked me to do it. Everything I say, those are his words. And that I and the Father are one. So, so Father, we just worship you and your Son, Jesus Christ. We know that to know you is eternal life. We ask, Father, this morning that you would touch our hearts and have us really bring these things, these truths, so that we do see them and we do hear them and they are lodged in our heart forever. And, Father, we ask also that those who have not yet seen who the one is, that they would have eyes to see, that they would hear the gospel and believe it. They would see who he is They would know who he is. They would believe who he is. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, again, a couple of reminders as we leave. Next Sunday, first Sunday of the month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Keep reading the Gospel of John. Also, um, we have a Bible study every Thursday, as many of you know, 6.30. Next one is this Thursday, March 4th, 6.30. We meet on Skype now because of the virus. We also have a weekly prayer meeting, just so everyone understands that that's when we pray as a group together at the end of the Bible study on Thursday on Skype. 
please give us any prayer requests that you have. We have a place on the website for you to do that. Remember that our giving policy comes from the epistles of Paul, who tells us that no longer are we to tithe. No longer actually are we ever to kind of put people on the spot and say, you have to give now. No, it's all supposed to be a free expression of worship. That's what giving is. It's way more than anybody who wants to stick to the legal definition from the Old Testament could ever understand. It's, a, it's an expression of gratitude, of joy, of feeling that I'm, I am able to be a part of something, and that I'm able to help others. That's the whole point of it. When you understand how much you've been blessed and you've been given something from the Lord to do that, and when you do it, you'll be blessed even more. That's what Paul would say. I am interested in what, what, what accrues to your account when you give. All right? That's why you'll never get pressure. We'll never have a drive. We'll never set up any point system or none of that. Why? Because that's an insult now. Now that we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, now that we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, now that we know all of our sins have been forgiven, it's a whole new ballgame. All right, let's close in prayer again. Father, we thank you so much again today for all of these things, for every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And Father, we also want to pray this morning for those who don't know your son yet, who haven't believed in him yet. We pray that somehow, some way, that their ears would hear the truth that's in the words of the gospel and that their hearts would believe that Jesus is their savior and he died for their sins and rose again. And Father, we pray for the members of the body of Christ, all of them, the ones who have, who have gathered together with us in the past or on the internet or here today, those throughout our country that are holding it together, that you are holding it together on, on, for our ability to continue to be free and freely worship and support the Jewish people. We, we pray for the saints in all these foreign countries, especially, Father, those who are persecuted in Muslim countries, in communist countries, in, in other places where they reject and persecute and hate your name and, and the children that you have. We thank you, Father, that we know the end of the story. We know that no matter what we're going through here, that it's momentary, it's light, and it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory. We praise you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. All right, with that, you're free to go. And uh, may the Lord continue to develop in your hearts Uh, a deeper and deeper appreciation of who he is and who his son is.